Welcome again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, U.S. Bets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by our senior analyst, Pulitzer Prize finalist, John Brennan. And John, you're the golf better among the two of us, although I did cash in a DraftKings golf millionaire maker once. Uh, but still, you know a lot more about golf than I do, and you like to risk a few bucks on it from time to time. So, John, I have to know, are you putting it all on Tony Romo to win the AT&T Byron Nelson this weekend like all the other sharps are? <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I actually saw those lines, Eric. Uh, it's uh, interesting. I'll, I'll be kind. <laughs> I'll say the over-under on Romo for round one on DraftKings at 79 and a half shots. That's legit. I mean, I'm not sure where I would go with that. Um, but will he make a birdie? Duh, yes. So buying at plus 400 that he doesn't is a terrible idea. Uh, will he make a hole-in-one at plus 10,000? No. Uh, not a <laughs> points bet at 25,000 either. Come on. I mean, it's not even worth mentioning those silly uh, hole-in-one options. Um other than as a shameless segue to my mentioning that uh, I had a 190-yard hole-in-one in 1992. <laughs> to the chagrin of my far superior golfing buddies, all of whom I called within the hour, as you can imagine. My question was, so I'm just doing a, a tally. How many career hole-in-ones do you have? And I <laughs> I heard many variations of the word, no. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I will say, though, that on the 18th tee, I learned what it takes to contend in a major, the real pressure that's building there. So I needed a par to uh, break 90, and you mm. can't make a hole-in-one of that length and not break 90. It's, it's just wrong. So I had a decent drive, uh, just short on a par 4-2, and two, a nice chip, about a six-footer, stands between me and success, or really failure. Uh, that putt dropped, and I, I felt like a million bucks, even if I didn't win any money. Um, well, I sort of did, actually, now that I think about it. Uh, it's tradition that the hole-in-one maker make, goes to the 19th hole, has to buy the entire bar a drink. Yeah. Um, this happened to be a municipal course, late afternoon round, no one there. Uh, the bar wasn't even <laughs> open, in fact. Uh, pretty sweet. Uh, yes, I bought my shape. old roommate a drink later, uh, who was playing with me in the cart. Uh, the two strangers we played with clearly weren't even aware of the tradition, so it cost me a total of one drink. <laughs> all right, so my takeaways from all of this are, don't bet on Tony Romo to win this weekend, and don't bet on John Brennan to win the tournament this weekend either, if, if you can find the odds. Uh, yeah, that's not going to be good. I'm, I'm retired from that front, I think. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, thank you to everyone out there for joining us for episode number 39 of Gamble On. Uh, this podcast is now the same age as my wife, uh, although next week the podcast will turn 40, whereas my wife has been 39 for a few years and will remain so forever. Uh, anyway, if you missed any of our previous 38 episodes, they're all available on SoundCloud or on iTunes or the Apple Podcast app. Please subscribe and give us a rating. Your options include... Five stars, five stars, or five stars. Yeah, exactly. And uh, Eric, coming up a little later on the show, we'll be joined by poker pro Bernard Lee, who has more than $2.3 million in lifetime live tournament earnings. Uh, but he's probably better known for his poker media work at uh, ESPN and elsewhere. Uh, we're going to talk to Bernard about both sides of his poker career, the playing of the game, obviously, and the punditry, uh, as well as the World Series of Poker uh, approaching later this month and what he thinks of that. But first, it's been another busy week uh, in the world of gambling, so let's get to it. Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling. We are supersizing the news segment this week. We're covering four stories instead of our usual three, and we start with a story that just missed our podcast deadline last week. On Thursday afternoon, our colleagues at Sports Handle, Matt Ribletowski and Brett Smiley, broke a story headlined, Shakedown Fees, NBA, MLB, Demanding Nevada Sportsbooks Pay More or Get Cut Off. 
The headline pretty well sums it up, that the leagues haven't had success pursuing their royalties or integrity fees or whatever you want to call them. So through Swiss data company Sport Radar, they're threatening to take away access to live data, which is critical for in-game betting, if the sportsbooks don't pay an extra fee to the leagues. Uh, sources told Sports Handle that Sport Radar has approached multiple sportsbook operators in Las Vegas, insisting they pay extra money that would go to the leagues if they want to keep getting the data. And so far, the sportsbooks have held firm and not paid up. So not only have the NBA and MLB not gotten the money they want, but they're now taking a PR hit, too, uh, as this is obviously a bad look. Um, is it more than just a bad look, though? Uh, there's a quote in the story calling it strong-arming. Uh, the headline, as I noted, calls it a shakedown. What do you think, John? Is this a, a full-on scandal, or would that be overstating it? Uh, hmm, Eric, uh, well, I've, I've taken a more measured approach in my career, I'd say. But okay. the core facts don't seem to be in dispute. And that's easily the most important thing, whatever you want to call it. Uh, the leagues want some money or else. And that's that's the uh, accurate takeaway. As far as scandal, um, my honorary, honorary law degree doesn't get me there either way. Um, clearly a PR hit, though, as you say. Um, mm -hmm. I actually don't blame the leagues for trying to get what they can from what are – it's after all their, their game performances being used by other companies to make money. Um, but I vaguely remember some lobbyist a year ago or so. He said that uh, at one of those many hearings I've attended, um, gasoline companies don't have to pay a royalty to Ford or Mazda for the production of the cars that use the gas, and they couldn't make any money selling gas if not for somebody <laughs> making a car. Um, so uh, something like that. They all kind of blended the one. But right. um, Plus, obviously, the leagues are going to make a fortune on new TV rights deals thanks to the expansion of legal sports betting in the U.S. Um, I expect um, – gambling patches on NBA uniforms as soon as next year, um, certainly within the next five years. So, you know, the leagues are going to be okay whether they uh, get this money or not. It's an interesting showdown, though, because the leagues are incredibly powerful. But you know what? Sports books are pretty uh, feisty as well. So I'm not <laughs> sure how this ends up. Yeah, they seem to have their heels dug in on this one. And yeah, the the last thing you were talking about there, you know, that, that brings me back to the same thing I keep coming back to every time these fees come up, you know, can't the league see how good legal sports betting is for their bottom line, how it drives viewership and fan engagement and leads directly to sponsorships and, and partnerships? You know, I mean, I understand that you want every penny. You don't want to leave money on the table. Uh, like you said about Ken Jennings the other week, he made two and a half million on Jeopardy, but might look back and think about the millions he left on the table by wagering passively. Uh, but at a, at a certain point, if you're the leagues, you have to say, we're making out like bandits here. Let, let's be happy with that. And when you get busted uh, trying to circumvent the appropriate channels and, uh, you know, I, I kind of agree with you that I wouldn't put the word scandal on this. That's probably going a bit too far. But it's not too far to say that they look a bit like the mob coming around to small business owners telling them they need to pay you for protection. Uh, and, and when you're getting, uh, getting caught doing something that looks even a little bit like that, you've gone too far. Um, so, you know, I wouldn't call it scandal. I'd just say aggressive business practices, but it looks bad. And I'm glad Matt and Brett exposed them. Great work from them on this story. And uh, a little tease here, courtesy of them, apparently more is coming out. There's a, a follow-up article coming Friday on Sports Handle. Mm -hmm. And just for the record, that mob uh, comment was from Eric. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not afraid.
Okay. I ain't scared of no one as long as uh, I don't have to see them in person. Uh, all right. Uh, our next story here is a big one, a possible game changer. Fox announced on Wednesday afternoon that it is buying a 4.99% stake in the Stars Group, parent company of Poker Stars, and that Fox Sports is launching a gambling app this fall called Fox Bet. It will include both a free-to-play game and in states with legal mobile sports betting, real money wagering. Fox holds the right to take a 50% equity stake in the Stars Group in the next 10 years. And the deal also calls for licensing and advertising and editorial integration and so forth. Not surprisingly, Fox Sports CEO Eric Shanks indicated there will be integration with Fox Bet on the FS1 gambling show Lock It In. Those are the basics for now. I'm sure many more details will trickle out. So what's your initial reaction, John? If Fox Bet is able to get its product up and running by football season, does the Fox reach and branding make it a candidate to immediately become the market leader? Uh, Eric, I think my uh, first uh, thoughts on this is uh, we're in the right business these days. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's, <laughs> That's uh, true. It's a bit of a growth uh, industry. Uh, I left one that is um, was not growing and is not growing. <laughs> right. So uh, right. that'd be the newspapers. Uh, yes. uh, Google the kids or ask your grandparents to find out what newspapers <laughs> are. Um, think back again to all those years ago, say, you know, like 2011 to 17, where I would hear from regulated uh, gambling firm uh, personnel all over the world asking me, what the heck is the U.S. thinking in forcing all sports wagering outside of Nevada to be bet on the black market? I mean, they were absolutely mystified. And I was like, you know, as I've said before, don't blame me. I live in Jersey. This is the state that actually, you know, uh, changed the whole uh, the whole tide. So uh, mm-hmm. it's not my fault. Uh, so this change has come. And, and again, I, I look at the concept of two channels for every sporting event down the road, one traditional, one gambling centric. Um, the only question is if, if DFS gets its third channel or it gets lumped in with money lines and parlays, which uh, I think is going to be their fate. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't I don't know that there will be whole channels devoted just to, to the fantasy aspect, especially now that the legal sports betting is, is coming state by state. Maybe had that never happened, uh, DFS would have would have had a better uh, hold on things. But um, I'm just looking at, you know, this this Fox betting app. I, I wonder in terms of what might prevent it from shooting straight to the top, just if that tiny barrier to entry of downloading the app, whereas lots of gamblers already had and now have the DraftKings and FanDuel apps, which we know played a big role in them uh, coming out of the gate strong, uh, that, that that could hold Fox back maybe a little bit. But, you know, clearly mainstream companies, especially those with a, a million media arms, have huge advantages. Uh, so as long as Fox Bet is offering competitive odds, you know, comparable odds to FanDuel and DraftKings and Sugarhouse and so on, I imagine their sign-up rate will be astronomical. Like, can you imagine... You're in a state with legal mobile sports betting. Uh, you're watching an NFL game on Fox on a Sunday, and there's a promo on your screen telling you the live odds on the game and go to this site. You get a deposit bonus. How many casuals will, will sign up on the spot? Uh, you know, I realize I'm projecting out a lot about what this looks like, but in theory, if it looks like that, Fox has huge advantages. Yeah, I, I will say you know, I'm mentioning that uh, DFS is getting lost in the shuffle a little bit, but look at the adaptability that DraftKings and FanDuel have shown, uh, mm-hmm. as you note. I mean, on the one hand, they, their core product is is uncertain, uh, certainly not doomed, as some people say, but it's right. not it's not clear. And yet 
I, I don't want to say it doesn't matter, but it doesn't matter that much because they're killing it in New Jersey, uh, obviously on the sports betting side. And they're certainly uh, primed to do so uh, around the country. And they're lobbying literally in dozens of states. And, um, you know, they're going to be fine, too. So but, yeah, yeah you're right. The, the power of Fox is uh, enormous as well. So uh, it's uh, it like I said, it's uh, like started this this conversation about uh, we're in the right business these days because everybody wants in. Definitely. All right. Next up here, we, we've spoken a fair bit lately about New Hampshire versus the Department of Justice. Now, New Jersey versus the DOJ is heating up. Uh, as we discussed in February, New Jersey Attorney General Gerbier Graywall filed a Freedom of Information Act request to see any communications between the DOJ, the White House and Sheldon Adelson that might indicate the influence Adelson exerted over the DOJ's new Wire Act opinion. Now, New Jersey is saying the DOJ has ignored the request, so Graywall has filed a lawsuit alleging the DOJ violated the request by failing to respond. And if you follow the major political news of the day, you know that not responding to requests, whether for tax documents, unredacted reports, etc., has become a common occurrence with the current administration. Graywall issued a statement saying, quote, Online gaming is an important part of New Jersey's economy, and the residents of New Jersey deserve to know why the Justice Department is threatening to come after an industry we legalized years ago. It's especially important that we figure out whether this federal crackdown is the result of a lobbying campaign by a single individual seeking to protect his personal business interests, end quote. So what do you think of Graywall's methods, John? Is New Jersey taking the right approach to beating back this DOJ Wire Act opinion? Is this approach more likely to pay dividends than New Hampshire's approach? I'm just intrigued by this single individual. I, I think we need to do some research and try and figure out who that could be. Um, is that really would uh, that could be a, a blockbuster if we can break that story? <laughs> <laughs> something like Schmeldon Madelson. Right, know, uh, like right, right. To, not uh, to be confused, of course, with the oft-cited lately individual one. That's a different individual. There you go. Yeah. So uh, 35 years in journalism, obviously, I'm not going to tell you, Eric, that this is not a legitimate avenue. Uh, I always want more information. That's just my default mode. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, I think the default is you have to give the information unless, you know, uh, uh, I've, I've been involved with a lot of FOIA and uh, Oprah uh, public records requests. And it's interesting that. Um, you know, clerks and, and, and even people in the federal government, their idea is always like, we got to protect this stuff from you. And it's like, um, this is, I'm a taxpayer, right? This is our stuff. We get it. And then you say, oh, national security or something extreme that says, all right, you know, lives are in jeopardy immediately or something like that. OK, we'll hold it back for a bit and eventually we're going to still release it. So I want the information um, and I don't I don't see how DOJ can avoid this in the long run, um, but it could be a while before the courts decided. So it's a laying tactic. Um, I just particularly like Graywall's point that the DOJ memo basically gives safe harbor to various entities in 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 legal gambling, really, uh, across the board, only until next month uh, to be safe. And after that, we don't know. So it puts pressure on a court to make a more timely decision. Um, I can't imagine that DOJ will push back its moratorium again on possible legal action. Uh, Wait, maybe. Maybe I can. <laughs> so stay tuned. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, yeah, that, that's the key is, is, you know, how long is this going to take? How long can they stall? It seems... Uh, things are, are moving more quickly in New Hampshire at the moment. Uh, but I, I guess I would just say it's good to have a multi-pronged attack going. Uh, you know, New Jersey and New Hampshire can both be uh, going going at this at, at once. Um, in the meantime, New Jersey is 
still kind of ignoring the Wire Act opinion for now, uh, at least at least until June 15th, we're hearing New Jersey poker players will still be able to compete in the WSOP online bracelet events across state lines and all that. So uh, for the moment, uh, they're pretending uh, this Wire Act opinion wasn't wasn't issued or at least that it doesn't affect their current games. Uh, but at some point, we're going to need a ruling on this. Yeah, I was talking recently to somebody very much in the know who was like astounded by this DOJ opinion and how broad it was. And, and you know, I said I, did, I my feeling was that they they didn't realize they set them that hornet's nest of lotteries because lotteries are incredibly popular. It's part of American culture uh, in almost every state. And the idea that anything would jeopardize the, their existence is a political disaster. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, so I felt like they just they didn't grasp the uh how broad their their claims were in that doj opinion in january and you know the response i got was they they had to know i mean these are lawyers i mean they they had to know it so then if they did know it what are they doing and yet <laughs> i gotta say they continue to backpedal and right. the latest uh filing last week from uh the New Hampshire folks on the lottery is hinting at that, that, you know, regardless of the political blowback, you still got to deal with what you got to deal with. And uh, so I, I, I just can't believe DOJ is going to continue to uh, put lotteries in jeopardy. That That's just political suicide. Yeah. All right. Let's wrap up the news segment with a state by state sports betting legalization roundup. And the big news is that Montana and Indiana have both crossed the finish line. Montana Governor Steve Bullock signed his state's legislation last Friday. And on Wednesday, Indiana Governor Eric Holcomb did the same just hours before it would have become law without his signature. On top of that, Iowa and Tennessee are both looking like done deals. It's just a matter of which day this month each becomes official. And there's also been big progress in Colorado, uh, though even after Governor Jared Polis signs the state's bill, it has to become a November ballot measure before it can move forward. On top of all that, there was a hearing in New York this Wednesday that featured more wheel spinning. Uh, Michigan is looking solid and Illinois is up in the air for now. John, which state do you find most intriguing at the moment? Um, and I think it's time to adjust our over-unders. How many states do you think will be taking sports bets by the end of 2019? Uh, hmm. End of 2019, of course, in many cases, is also known as by the end of June. Uh, well, end of June in terms of making a decision. Right. And then, obviously, you're talking about whether they're taking bets. So, you know, Connecticut and Maryland, I think, have already thrown in the towel. Um, so they're out. Right. Um, so without stalling until I try to memorize current status, <laughs> 20 other states on the table in my head, uh, I'm going to go don't, with... Don't, don't make me sue you to release your, uh, your number uh, sooner <laughs> exactly. rather than later. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I'm going to say 13. Okay, I, I would take the over on that. Uh, I, I'm looking at it and feeling like uh, we're we're pretty well locked into 14, assuming Rhode Island isn't taken off the board. That that could throw things off. But uh, inquiry, the inquiry sign's gone up. <laughs> yes, but I'm I was I'm thinking we may end up around even 15 or 16 by the end of the year. But uh, but I'll definitely take the over on 13. Yeah, I want to mention New York since you mentioned that. Yeah, in passing. yeah. Um, I heard a good piece of that hearing yesterday in Albany. Um, the Senate committee invited most of the right speakers, which was good. I mean, the, the horse racing people, the uh, analysts, the gaming people, uh, FanDuel CEO Kip Levin. I mean, they, that was actually productive. Um, but there's only one voter in this entire process in New York, and that's Governor Cuomo. And uh, he insists, in the face of strong legal arguments, uh, Dan Wallach uh, brought them up at the uh, committee hearing uh, yesterday. Also, um, he says a referendum is needed to authorize mobile sports betting. Uh, 
Um, and as long as he insists that, it's going to stall the process for several years. And if there's a legal challenge to it, that's going to stall the process for several years. So, I mean, the assembly won't even vote next month in New York, frankly, without a change of heart by Cuomo. So Midlands Racetrack, as well as various Starbucks in towns like Fort Lee, Weehawk, and Jersey City, they can look forward to a surge in business on fall weekends, uh, uh, football weekends. Uh, this Again, as Manhattanites grab a triple latte as they make their mobile bets in Jersey before heading back across the Hudson River, uh, at least the uh, Starbucks will be ready for it because they had it all last fall as well. Right. Um, yeah, and some of those numbers that came out of that, that hearing, you know, they're just projections, of course, but they were certainly interesting and, and should have caught some eyes that uh, – uh, with a with a mature online market, the revenue in New York could exceed a billion dollars annually, uh, and and that 95% will be mobile. Uh, that far exceeds the 80% or so we're seeing in New Jersey. But it makes sense given where the land-based options in New York are located. So the which is nowhere, <laughs> right? Right, exactly. So. Um, yeah, it seems like that was indeed even if it even if it didn't really move us much closer to uh, the reality of mobile sports betting, it still seems like it was at least a productive hearing. Well, I, I think that the, you know the Senate is far more receptive to this idea. So on the one hand, I think it was good for them to get more information, and they're, they might even be inclined to pass a bill. Uh, but again, it's going nowhere in the assembly, and um, the horsemen made a, a reasonably strong case to say whoa 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 nay <laughs> you know, that uh let's because of, at the moment they're they're locked out so um they they want in which i understand and they can probably muddy the waters enough maybe even in the senate so uh as i've been saying you know debbie downer for yep. eight or nine months now <laughs> new york's not getting mobile sports betting anytime soon sorry folks it's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling let's get to the gamble on interview There is a ticking clock on the World Series of Poker website, counting down the days, hours, minutes, and seconds until the WSOP begins, and it's now under 20 days, so this is a perfect week to talk some poker on the podcast. Joining us for that conversation is Bernard Lee, who rose to prominence with a deep run in the 2005 World Series of Poker main event, back when the poker boom was nearing its peak, and who has since gone on to a successful career both as a poker player and in the poker media, where, among other ventures, he's the host of the Bernard Lee Poker Show, a radio show now celebrating 12 years on the air. Bernard, welcome to Gamble On. Thanks for having me, guys. So you and I worked together a bit over the years. You wrote regularly for the poker magazine I used to edit. Uh, writing, TV, radio, you've done it all. You're out there hustling. You have been for a long time now. What's your most proud accomplishment, not as a poker player, but as a member of the poker media? Um, well, that's a, that's a good question. Um, I, I've been very fortunate and really kind of, by accident almost to kind of stumble into the world of media. I was asked to do a blog after my 2005 run and it kind of back then, as much as it can become viral, it became viral. And, uh, um, next thing you know, I've had a bunch of people asking me to write stuff, ESPN, the Boston Herald, um, card player, et cetera. Um, and it's been an honor. I write for poker news now. So I've been writing for a lot of the, uh, opportunities out there in poker. And as you had mentioned, it's the 12th anniversary of my radio show. So I'm very proud of that. Um, I, I would say 
one of the things that I enjoyed uh, really a, a tremendous amount, and we were very proud to do it, was uh, ESPN had a show called Inside Deal, which was an online show, which was really kind of the sports center of poker and was – you know, it felt like we were gearing up for, for TV, uh, and then, of course, Black Friday hit. So that really hurt our chances from that. But, uh, you know, you can go back on YouTube and all that and, and see some of the shows, and w- I had a blast doing that show. Yeah, and it, like you said, even though it didn't take off quite the way you had hoped because of what happened in the industry, it was a really good show. I really enjoyed it back in the day. No, I appreciate it. No, it, was a lot, it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed doing all of that work, and you know, cross your fingers. Hopefully one day we'll have something <laughs> like that or, or a version of that or even a segment on a show or something like that, like that uh, again. Yeah. Right. Yeah, Bernard, you've been taking trips from your Massachusetts home to Las Vegas cross country to play in the World Series for, I don't know, 15 years, I guess, at least. Um, so what are the most significant ways in which you're playing in the uh, WSOP has changed between when you first started competing in it and now? I imagine there's been a lot of major changes. Yeah, I mean, there have been a tremendous amount of changes. Obviously, there are so many more events uh, with regards to the World Series. When I went in 2005 for the first time, it was the first time it was actually held in the Rio. Uh, It used to be held downtown at the Horseshoe. Um, So it it has remained the same in that sense, but the, the space has increased. Uh, the number of players, obviously. The big thing uh, uh, with regards to buy-ins and starting stacks is you used to buy in for a thousand chips, you used to get a thousand chips. Mm. I mean, it was crazy. After the first two hours, half the field was already gone. Um, yeah. You know, you're starting out at like 25, 25. You have a thousand chips. You you really don't have much room. One mistake, and you're out. Mm. This year, a thousand chips relates to twenty thousand chips. The main event, which was 10,000, 10,000, now is 10,000, 60,000. So that's definitely something uh, that's very different. Uh, and then in the world of poker, for people who follow poker a lot, is for No Limit Hold'em, Texas Hold'em was the game we, we play. It was a very pre-flop game. And what I mean by that is, is that before we even saw the first three cards, the flop, betting and playing was very based on that. And now... It's a lot based on post-flop play, which is get to the flop and see what you kind of have connected or not connected with, uh, or what you feel your opponent has not or connected with, and then you kind of play from there. So the game has definitely changed a lot over the last decade and a half. So is there a particular tournament you're looking forward to most this summer, uh, other than the main event? Obviously, everyone looks forward to, to that. But is there another uh, particular tournament on the schedule you, you have your eye on? And and have you already planned out your whole schedule for the summer? Yeah, pretty much. Um, I usually make a couple of trips out there, uh, which will be the same. I won't be out there as long as I usually am. I usually go right from the beginning and we actually, uh, I'm involved with uh, another company, and we do kind of a World Series of Poker tour. Um, but we're not doing it this year uh, due to a couple of uh, kind of miscalculations and, and uh, kind of uh, some misinterpretations. But the the first tournament that I pretty much look for when the schedule comes out is uh, the Deuce to Seven Low Ball event. Um, it's a, a no limit single draw low ball draw event and i know a lot of people are are now scratching their heads saying what in the world is he talking about (laughs) Um, 
It is a very, very uh, traditional event. Back 10, uh, 50 years ago, it's the 50th anniversary of the World Series, uh, really 49 years ago because it happened in uh, 1970. They were trying to decide what the main event would be, whether it would be No Limit Hold'em or another event. And they eventually chose Texas Hold'em, No Limit. But the other event was Deuce to Seven, Single Draw, No Limit. And the main event almost was that event. So it has a very a lot of historic value there. And it is an event, for better or worse, that I've done fairly well at. I actually finished a runner-up um, two years ago uh, in that specific event. So I really feel like it's potentially the best shot at my, me getting a bracelet. I final tabled three times so far. And um, it's the event I'm, I'm going to play. There's no way I won't uh, play for that event. Um, it will be my first event. I fly in the day before, kind of get acclimated to Las Vegas. Um, but I'm not playing. There's a big event this year called the Big 50, a $5 million guaranteed prize pool, $500 buy-in. It will be a massive event. But I'm going to miss it. And the reason why I'm going to miss it is, is that if I had made day three of that event, I can't play the deuce to seven. And that's how important the deuce to seven is to me. Wow. Um, so I, 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 I've missed Colossus the last couple of years because of it. And, and some people will say like, well, what are the odds of you making it to a day two or a day three of Colossus? Well, the one time I played it, I did. So I think there's a decent <laughs> chance I could make it, you know, and I'm not going to risk that um, this, this event Unfortunately, there's only one 1500 deuce to seven. There's a 10k deuce to seven as well. Now this is single draw. There is a triple draw version of it as well, um, but there's only one or two every year. And um, you know, being that I feel like I have a shot at, at doing well in the event, I really want to play in it. And you know, yes, I'm, it's unfortunate I can't play in the big 50, but life goes on. And so that's definitely the event for me. Um, I'll be out there for a couple of weeks, uh, come home, and then I'll go back out and. I definitely also uh, do a charity event out there in Las Vegas called the One Step Closer Foundation. We're doing it this year, June 30th at ARIA, which we're very excited about. And um, so a lot of exciting stuff during the World Series, as always. Cool. Yeah, Bernard, I've written a number of stories uh, about uh, liquidity in online poker in New Jersey. Um, it's been a bit of a disappointment, uh, really Online poker drove the legalization of online casino gaming in New Jersey, and then almost from the first month in 2013, um, online you know slots and, and other things uh, kind of took over, and poker's been stagnant. Um, you know, New Jersey's not a small population state, but there just aren't quite enough players to fill you know 24/7 interests and in all levels of skill and pot sizes. So, you know, as someone uh, like you on the inside of all this, uh, you know, what are your thoughts on how the legal regulated online poker world has played out since New Jersey came aboard in 2013? And do you have very high hopes for the next couple of years, uh, things uh, improving on that front? Yeah, it was. It, it, it has been a disappointment, obviously, since uh, we're very excited that Las Vegas and um, New Jersey, Delaware, um, and then now it's Pennsylvania is starting, you know, there's always been, I'm from Massachusetts, and there's been rumblings that Massachusetts would be, you know, if you go backwards in time and look to 2019, you would have hoped that there would be like a dozen states right now that would be online. And the kind of pooling of players, the way Nevada and uh, New Jersey are doing it, you would have hoped that that would have had, there would be more pods like that. Like uh, you would hope that there would have been like a mid-Atlantic uh, New England pod and then a, a West Coast pod and then a Southern pod or something like that. And I think that's the only way until we get to something like that where we can pool 
uh, the players that there'll be a big enough size uh, player pool that now suddenly the government's going to have to listen uh, because there's so many people playing, so much revenue that's coming in, and that it would be worth the government getting involved in and in, in taxing the entire population, uh, you know, on a nationwide uh, basis. Uh, but uh, you know, I'll be honest with you, I, I'm, I'm disappointed that it hasn't progressed as much. And over the next two or three years, I, I guess I'm just, you know, 10 years ago, I would have had high hopes. I don't really have the high hopes that we're going to explode over the next two or three years. It's going to take a lot of time. And, um, you know, unfortunately, it's just not taking off the way we had hoped. Yeah, so Pennsylvania has always interested me because uh, some of the Jersey players have told me, like, they think that just Pennsylvania alone uh, is a large enough state that just those two states, I mean, Nevada and Delaware, you're not going to get as much, uh, uh, as many players. Um, so if Pennsylvania goes forward and then it, there's a bit of a boom, you know, that possibly wakes up states, Massachusetts and others, you think? Or? Um I think that that's New Jersey being very optimistic. I mean, yeah. I'm being honest. Um, sure. I think the I think the three states that you really have to one of them get where it'll move the needle is New York, Florida, and California. If you mm-hmm. get one of those three states in, then you're going to really move the needle. Obviously, New York and California because of its population. Florida because it's got a massive poker industry right now. It had if there's a state that has really blossomed. Uh, and really taken off over the last decade, it's Florida. You know, they've had new rules, new card rooms, not only in casinos, but in um, uh, racetracks as well. And Florida has really, really taken off. And so it's another state that I, I truly believe that if that came on board too, that the needle will jump. But until those states do, you know, I'm, I'm from Massachusetts. I'm going to tell you, Massachusetts won't make the, make the needle jump. It just won't. And I, I just don't see Pennsylvania suddenly making the, the government go, whoa, now we have to legalize the entire country. I just, I just don't see that. You know, California would do it. I think California right. would really make the government say, wait a second, what's going on here? Um, you know, this is a big deal. I think New York is because of the volume would do it as well. And, and like I said, th- those are the three states that I think if, if we got something aboard there, now we can talk. But, uh, you know, w- we've seen all the discussions and back and forth. And I think with the bureaucracy, it's not going to be in. I mean, I hope it's in the next two or three years, but I'd be very hesitant to put a bet on that. Yeah, and I, and I assume you've been keeping an eye on the, the Wire Act debates uh, of late because uh, I presume that if shared liquidity is is not allowed going forward then uh, then then you have no reason for optimism even if some of the big states get involved exactly exactly i mean and that's that's the biggest you know issue with regards to all this and and uh, you know this is you know poker is is a great great game and it has uh, been around for so many years here it has such a tradition in the united states and a, you know you still have this unfortunate back room cigar smoking, uh, smoke-filled room, speakeasy kind of uh, reputation where it really has become mainstream and it is a unbelievable uh, game of not only competition and psychology, but camaraderie as well. And I think that uh, I hope that eventually people will come to recognize that and um, that that it'll allow uh, poker to you know have its right in the in the world of 
of uh, uh, the United States, just as as we saw this recently, uh, the horse racing. Uh, you know, they're allowing horse racing betting and, and et cetera across the country. I'm, I, I believe that we can play poker on a skill level much higher than a horse can run around the track. <laughs> I'll, leave, I'll leave it at that. Right. <laughs> Great talking to you, uh, as always, Bernard. Congrats on, on 12 years on the air with the Bernard Lee Poker Show, and uh, good luck at the World Series. I'll be keeping an eye on the, that Deuce to Seven tournament. Uh, hopefully uh, this is your year. Well, I appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me on, guys. All right. Thanks, Bernard. Two men. Two men. $10,000. Will they run it up or blow it all? It's time to check in on the Gamble On Bankroll. Whole lot of bankroll action this week. We had great success with our playoff series bets. Uh, A little spotty elsewhere. Let's start with those series bets. Two weeks ago, I put $100 on the Bucks to beat the Celtics in exactly five games. I was hating my bet after game one, uh, but the Bucks got it together and swept the next four. So that's a nice $275 profit there. And John, you wisely piled on last week with the series tied at 1-1. You put $195 on Milwaukee to win the series as minus 195 favorites. So we earned another $100 on that. Uh, your hockey bet also came through. You had the Bruins mm-hmm. over the Blue Jackets in the second round, and they won in six. Uh, so we profited another $100 on that one. Um, now we get to the spotty results. Uh, your golf bets were interesting. You had uh, $121 on Rory McElroy to finish in the top 10 and another $20 on him to win it all. And he finished in a five-way tie for eighth. So <laughs> what that may, means is we get a 60% return on the top 10 bet. So when it's all said and done, that bet won us $12. Uh, and then we <laughs> lost the $20 on the first place bet. So a loss overall of $8 on Rory. Crushing. A, a real bankroll killer. <laughs> Um, also, I was uh, I was confident that James Harden would shoot more than 12 and a half free throws in game three. So I bet one hundred sixty five dollars on it. But even with the benefit of overtime, he only shot eight free throws. So that was a loss. Um, I made some of it back, though, with my Canelo Alvarez bet one hundred twenty dollars on him to win a decision over Daniel Jacobs. And he did. So we won one hundred dollars there. So all in all, we won four hundred two dollars on the week. We're now ahead by seven hundred twenty one dollars. And we have $890 on hold in futures bets, leaving us with $9,831 available to bet. And I'm up first. Uh, And boy, this Warriors-Rockets series is interesting. Uh, The Warriors won Game 5, but lost Kevin Durant, at least for Game 6, maybe well beyond that. Uh, It's a shame, but that's part of what we were betting on when we took the Rockets to win the title a couple of months ago, that one big injury to a star player changes everything. Uh, Anyway, when I woke up Thursday morning, the Rockets' money line for Game 6 at home must win against a Durantless Warriors team was minus 230, so I'm pouncing on it. Uh, I thought about getting greedy and betting on the Rockets at plus 200 to win the series, but we already have our title bet on them. I think the smarter move here is to play it more conservative and bet on a single game, $230 to win 100 on Houston to take game six. I mean, the Warriors were thin already. They basically had a seven-man playoff rotation going after DeMarcus Cousins went down. This injury really hurts them. They're, they're going to need something special from Curry and Clay and Draymond to win game six on the road. 
Yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to – I guess I'll start with uh, – this will be my second bet. I'll make it my first one. Yeah. yeah I okay. stayed up to watch that Warriors game last night, and, and I'm ready to pounce too. Um, Kevin Durant's the best player in the NBA. I'm sorry. Uh, apologies to Milwaukee, but uh, <laughs> nothing can stop him except his injury. Um, mm-hmm. I was really taken by how much of the heart and soul of, of his team he is now, and he's on the way out the door. Um, I, I don't know what – I don't know what the deal is with Steph Curry. He had a good second half, but um, whereas, as you say, don't have enough of it beyond Durant. So uh, I'll, I, I'm actually going Rockets minus seven and a half points, uh, 110 to win 100. So uh, if the Warriors fall behind by double digits early in the second half, they'll have one foot in the team's private jet before the final buzzer even sounds. Okay, so we have both the money line and the spread bet on the Rockets. So we're doubling down there in a sense. Okay. Uh, I don't think I've made a tennis bet yet with our bankroll, uh, but I will now. I'm getting a French Open bet in early. Rafael Nadal, the winner of the last two French Opens and 11 of the last 14, is plus 130 to win at FanDuel. Uh, I shopped around. He's plus 120 at BetStars, plus 125 at DraftKings, and a whopping minus 110 at PointsBet. And honestly, those minus 110 odds might be the most accurate. Uh... I think Nadal at any kind of plus money with his track record there is good. And he's having a fine year so far. He's not showing his age at 32. Uh, He reached the finals of the Australian Open. He's the king of clay. We all know that. I suspect his number might drop a bit as we get closer. So I'm jumping on it now, betting $100 to win 130 on Rafael Nadal. All right. Yeah, I'll definitely be doing some tennis bets. I've got some uh, background covering that sport, so uh, I'm looking forward to it this summer when there's okay, not a lot, lot else going on, but uh, yep. no, I'll be doing it. Um, but here I'm I'm tripling down on my Bruins uh, uh, winning in the first two rounds for me, um, taking out the Carolina Hurricane. Uh, I'm seeing 155 to win 100. I'm not thrilled with that line. Um, so pros out there, obviously shop around if you like to play. I, you might be able to do better. Um, I got to say props to the Blue Jackets in the second round. They fought like Lions in the third period of Game 5. Um, but it didn't kill the Bruins. It only made them stronger. Um, Hurricane are underrated, definitely. But they're a little bit of another Cinderella like the uh, Blue Jackets. And I'm not a fan of fairy tales. <laughs> So you're betting 155 to win 100 on the Bruins yes. here? Okay, mm-hmm. hey, it's $2 cheaper than you got them last series. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that'll do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks to everybody out there for listening. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and John at Bergen Brennan and follow US Bets at US underscore bets. Go to usbets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling and subscribe to this podcast on SoundCloud or on iTunes or the Apple Podcast app. And with that, John, I hand it over to you to take us out. Yeah, Eric, uh, this homily is all about forgiveness, I got to say. Um, you know, if hypothetically you're going to go to a site rhyming with Schmetterland, Schmeisbrack, to watch the <laughs> Kentucky Derby on Saturday with your brother, turns out he was busy, so you didn't bother to take a chance on your 62 to 1 long shot, call him Buntry Laos. Um, <laughs> well, in the end, it wouldn't be your brother's fault. It really would be yours, ultimately. And um, hypothetically, not quite there yet, but, uh, but I'm working on that because. Um, I'm responsible for my own choices, even the poor ones that I didn't try that play. So uh, with that, (laughs) until next time, gamble on.